You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, and Galatians is right after 2 Corinthians. Uh, If you're looking for it, it's in the New Testament. Um, We're going to begin walking through next week uh, the book of 1 Corinthians um, with a series, a couple of different series through this book of 1 Corinthians, so incredibly important for the life of the church, but beginning with a series entitled United dealing with division in the local church. It's where the beginning of 1 Corinthians begins, so we're going to begin there. Uh, before we get there, I want to bring this word of encouragement to you. By the way, uh, this morning, uh, obviously, we have our children in the service with us, and let me just say that's okay. That's awesome. Um, and so if they make noise, then they make noise, and we just keep on. Uh, studying God's Word together. It wouldn't be any different, hopefully, than you doing your own devotions in your home. So uh, anyway, so we're going to continue to walk through this together. So I want to bring you a word of encouragement. It seems to me that over the last three years, maybe, or so, um, we have had a draining few years in the life of our country and certainly in the life of our church. Uh, Ever since covid It has been a challenge, and we are not still in the days of COVID. I think we use the COVID excuse way too often. Uh, Now we're well past that, and yet it still seems that some of the effects of that season of our life is lingering on. And I'm not just talking about because you uh, stayed up because of the new year being tired, but how many of you have said in the last week, uh, if somebody asked you, how are you, you said, tired. Yeah, a lot of us have, right? Or I'm here, or or some kind of passive statement that just says, you know what, I'm barely making it, but I'm here. I I think that this is the uh, reality that most of us are facing, and as a church, oftentimes we just seem worn out, maybe discouraged some, uh, maybe even uh, for reasons that we can't list, maybe because of sickness or just the pace of our lives, difficulties at work, uh, conflict within relationships, any number of reasons. But there's so many uh, reasons why we might just say, I'm just tired. And my concern is that in many ways we've become tired as a church family, that we've become spiritually sleepy. And there is a Need and certainly a biblical precedent for rest. There's no question about that. We need to take time in our lives whenever there's busy seasons and we need to rest, even in ministry. But despite the need for rest in our lives, we must remain 
tirelessly devoted to Christ and to one another. We must remain tirelessly devoted to Christ and to one another. And so that is my message to you this morning. And what I'm praying for this year is that there will be a renewed sense in which we tirelessly devote our lives to one another and to Christ. We're going to refocus on some things, some very basic things this year that are important that I need to personally take better leadership in, uh, some things that we as a church need to refocus on, and, and all of that is things that we're going to have to work hard on. And so right here at the beginning, I want to just say to you overall that these are not the days to retreat or to quit or to just kind of coast through the Christian life. These are the days to give everything that we have in our commitment to Jesus and to one another, even when things get difficult, even when it's hard, even when relationships are messy, even when we don't know what God is doing in our lives and we can't measure our lives by the results often. In the midst of all those things, we cannot let our devotion to Jesus and our devotion to one another to diminish. And that is exactly what Paul's message is to the churches at Galatia. So if you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. As we look to almost the very end of this letter and do our best to work back to this point to see what Paul has to say to us this morning. Galatians 6, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will also reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we pray this morning that you would renew From your word, you would renew our sense of devotion to Christ and to one another. We pray that you would remind us of what it means to be the body of Christ. What it means for the gospel to have so changed our lives and to have covenanted us together that we might give our lives for one another. I pray that we would see that as not just our duty to one another, but our duty to to the honor of Christ. May you receive glory and honor for that. I pray that you would strengthen those who are weary, that you would bring encouragement to those who are discouraged, 
And that ultimately we would be more committed to the cause of Christ this year than we've ever been before. And that we would see a harvest that we would reap in your due season for your glory and your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So we come at a disadvantage because this book, we're coming in at the end of the letter. There's so much to be dealt with in this book, uh, in this letter to the churches at Galatia. It's written by the Apostle Paul. And one of the things that you need to understand about any letter that's written in the New Testament is that it is situational. Whether it's 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, whether, whether it's Ephesians, Galatians, it doesn't matter. All of them are situational. They were written with a specific intent. Something is happening or something needs to be addressed at the particular place that's being written to. And Paul sees a need at Galatia to write to them. So what's the particular situation? Then? It's always the question you should ask as you approach any letter in the New Testament. Well, these are Galatian churches, namely in four towns, Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. By the way, Derby is where Timothy was from, who would later pastor Ephesus. Just kind of a little side note, that one was that one was free. But these four towns had presumably four different churches, all the churches at Galatia, and all of them needed to be addressed in a particular way. Paul had planted these churches in his first missionary journey, and he traveled through, and you will find that story in Acts chapter 13 and 14. And he planted these faithful churches, proclaimed the gospel, people came to faith in Christ, miraculous things happened, and then Paul went on to the next city, as he would, and he continued to plant churches. Well, shortly after Paul left the churches at Galatia, false teachers entered into the church. And they began to teach, not the gospel that Paul was teaching, but a different gospel. We know that from the first chapter. So you might hold your place and go to chapter 1 and verse 6 and kind of track with me. We won't spend a whole lot of time in review here. But we do need to set kind of this platform, this background for you to understand what is being said in chapter 6. So chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. It happened quickly, not too long after Paul left. Verse 7 says, not that there is another one. Let me make that crystal clear this morning. There is no other gospel but the gospel of Christ. There is no other gospel that saves. There is no other way to heaven. There is one and only one gospel. In other words, Paul is saying because you're turning to a different gospel, it's a false gospel. It is a distortion of the gospel. That's what he goes on to say. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. By the way, the same threat abounds today. Bounds today. We've got to be careful. There's false gospels all around us. So Paul says in verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you, or a prophet from somewhere should preach to you a different gospel, one contrary to the one we preach to you, he says, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. 
So it's incredibly important that we maintain the integrity of the gospel that has been preached because there's only one gospel that can save. So what is the different gospel they were teaching? Well, go on to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 15. Paul says in verse 15, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. He's not saying that Jews are somehow better than Gentiles. He's saying we, we are Jews. We have the law. We are not, we are not separate from the covenant of promise. We, we know these things. And he says, we know, verse 16, that a person is not justified by works of the law through faith in Jesus Christ. Or rather, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So Paul here in this ver- these two verses is arguing against the false teachers. And we can deduce what they were teaching. Because he says this is not the correct truth. So they were teaching that you could somehow be justified by doing things, by works of the law. And this is the first, at Galatia, this is the first of twin moral dangers that the church was facing. That a person could somehow be justified both through faith in Jesus and works of the law. And their specific argument was to the customary laws of Judaism. In order to be right with God, you had to be circumcised and you had to fulfill all these other things. So that's this is the first of the twin moral dangers. It's called legalism. Legalism. It is the belief that man is somehow justified by God through works of the law. And Paul states, and we should understand unequivocally, that a person cannot be justified by works of the law. A person can only be justified through faith in Jesus Christ. We can only be right with God by what Jesus has already accomplished on the cross and through faith in that completed work. No good work justifies man before God. It's not the good outweighing the bad. It's not doing a few good things in order that God might forgive those other things. Only the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And we must be settled on that reality. And so Paul desires this for the church at Galatia. Don't fall back to this justification by works because it's putting an overwhelming burden on them. The the church at Galatia is at the place where they are tempted to perform for God in order that he will be pleased with them. And Paul wanted them to understand it will not be through your performance that God is pleased with you. And he wanted them to be free from that burden of having to somehow measure up with their lives. That's what he says in chapter 5 and verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. If you find yourself trying to measure up to the standard that God has for you in order that 
God will be pleased with you. And worse yet, that you would go to heaven. You will find yourself in one of the worst kinds of slavery you've ever known. Trying to do something you could never do. And Paul says, don't, don't do that. The gospel is one of grace. And so that's his main message. But there's a second twin danger. And we can't separate these two. The second danger is license. It's license. Because as much as there was a, danger, a dangerous tendency for them to lean on good works in order to be right with God, there was also a danger for them to abandon good works because they were, quote unquote, right with God. We might say it today, I have my fire insurance, I'm going to heaven. And God will forgive these other things that I do. I can just kind of live my life the way I want to live my life because I've already prayed and trusted in Jesus. Paul says, no, let me warn you. License is this. It is using spiritual freedom to justify ongoing sin. And the Bible calls that no gospel at all. Paul spends most of the letter dealing with the present danger of legalism. But he says, if you're not careful, you're going to fall in the trap on the other side of the coin of trusting in some spiritual experience, trusting in what you call grace and cheapening it and giving your life back to sin. So Paul says in chapter five and verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, he says, don't go back to legalism, brothers, only But here's the big flashing warning sign. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So he says that you you get now to live a life that is that is honoring to Jesus, pleasing to Jesus, not because you have to measure up now, but because you get to to glorify him with your life. So live a life of obedience. You've been set free from sin and from the power of sin over you. So put the put the flesh to death daily and live a life that honors Jesus every day. You are called to this. And then he spends the rest of chapter five explaining the danger of the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit and what it means to now walk in the spirit. And and so you have this battle, legalism versus license, and it's dangerous. It's dangerous to add works of the law to faith in such a way that it burdens us down and causes us to be in this kind of forced relationship with God. At the same time, there's a danger for us to see the law of God and go, that's bad, and to abandon it altogether, to dismiss it. And to end up in moral compromise in our life. I would say to you this morning that this battle, legalism versus license, is one of the most difficult battles in the hearts of Christian believers. Both personally and corporately. It's a dangerous and difficult battle. And the question that you should be asking is, how do I avoid these twin dangers? How do I stay on a path that is straight between legalism and license? Well, the answer to that question is simply by living by the word of God. 
We live every single day by the word and the word keeps us there and corrects us when we stray in either direction. But at the end of the day, the battle remains. We keep fighting the flesh versus the spirit. We keep fighting legalism versus license every day of our life. And it can be incredibly draining. I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had as a pastor that relate to this issue. When you put a group of us together, it gets worse. So we're supposed to be walking together, right? We're supposed to be worshiping together. We're supposed to be growing together. We're supposed to be on mission together. Like this body God has brought together for this purpose. Not because they're on a banner behind me, but because this is the word of God. This is who we are as a body. And so in chapter 6, you begin to see the struggle that the battle brings to the body. So notice it. Verse 1, issues of sin and transgression. And it's among the brothers. You who are spiritual are to restore him. This battle between license and legalism doesn't always end in a positive way. Sometimes some of us fall and there's a need in this battle to restore one another. Verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There's other believers around you that if you were to ask them this morning and they were to be honest with you, they would say, I'm just tired. There's a need to bear one another up. To encourage one another, to be the strength for one another, to hold one another's arms up in this fight that we call Christianity. Verse three. For anyone thinks for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each let each one test his own work, and then reason his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. We have a tendency to compare ourselves with one another. There's a need to constantly, when it comes to legalism, license, and are we on the straight and narrow, to constantly evaluate our own hearts. And that goes for the, the greatest among us to the least among us. Verse 6, that the one who is taught the word share in all good things with the one who teaches. It's the description of pastor and church member and this relationship that exists between the one who teaches and the one who learns and ultimately provides. It's it's not a statement on pastoral compensation mainly, although there's a case for that as well. It's a statement on generosity in giving. It's an understanding that it takes resources and we are we're called to provide resources in order to uphold the preaching and teaching of the gospel and the gospel going forward that is required of us not just you and not just me all of us as we give to support the cause of the gospel verse 7 do not be deceived god is not mocked for whatever one sows that will he also reap This principle of taking responsibility for our actions when we're measuring legalism and license and we're trying to determine what's right, that the biggest deal is for us. We've got to understand we cannot just go do what we want as Christians. 
There is a principle still of reaping and sowing. And if we demonstrate that we made some confession that we're not living by and that we have no intent of living by and there's no conviction in our life that ultimately reaps destruction because it's not a genuine profession. There's responsibility for actions. Now, if you take all of that and you go, that's what I got to be thinking about every day. That's exhausting, is it not? For me to consider all those things in my life every single day, that is exhausting, it's messy, it's hard. When it comes to the lives of others, it can be offensive, it can cause conflict, it's heavy. These are difficult things. It means sometimes we have to swallow our pride. It might mean that we cry a lot. It might even mean we have to apologize every now and then. We have to restore. And you see, the very real temptation is, that's not worth it. The very real temptation is, just walk away. Just quit. Maybe you tell somebody, maybe you don't. But you just simply disappear Because the battle, the battle to do good is not worth it. And this is where Paul has a word for a tired church. Verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if... We do not give up. And then he sets it into the framework of the local church. This is not, don't understand this believer, as just you. Don't understand that I've just got to keep following Jesus. I've got to keep serving Jesus, doing the right thing. Eventually I'll reap. That's not the context. None of the context of Galatia is to just individual Believers, verse 10, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. That's the context. He says, don't grow weary. That's the message. Don't grow weary. Don't quit because you're a part of a body and that body is messy And that includes not just the people around you. Don't look at the people around you and go, well, y'all got all kind of problems and I got to deal with them. So let's sit down and have a conversation. No, this is we got all kind of problems, me included. So let's sit down and let's flesh it out and let's sharpen one another and let's grow from mistakes and let's learn what it means to follow Jesus. And that means being real and authentic and transparent. And it means being confessional and saying, you know what? I'm sorry. I need you to forgive me. And it means being restoring And it means being confrontational, but all those things are worth it. Why? Because Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. What does weary mean? It doesn't, interestingly, mean tired physically. Because I think all of us, half the time, are tired physically with the schedules that we lead. Here's what it means. To grow weary means to lose motivation for or to be discouraged from continuing. 
Paul uses the same word in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when he was facing the threat of false teachers himself. Facing accusers who were accusing his reputation. Facing extreme amounts of suffering, beating, shipwrecks, all those things. And Paul says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart or grow weary. We do not lose motivation or be discouraged from continuing. There is no quit in our vocabulary. We keep going. And he sees that God has been gracious enough to grant him this ministry. He says, don't give up. In other words, be a tireless church. No matter how tired physically and emotionally we become, and no matter how hard and how messy and how frustrating it becomes to do life together, we must remain tirelessly devoted to Christ and to one another. That's the call on our lives. Don't grow weary in doing good together. So what keeps us from growing weary? How do we do that? In other words, what will motivate us when we are the most tired, the most desiring to give up? And Paul tells us, Galatians 6 and verse 9, For in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. How many of you believe that this is the word of the living God? Do you believe that this morning? You believe that what is here is inspired by God, spoken for our good, and that it is true 100% from cover to cover. Do you believe that? Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, by his Spirit inspired, says, We will reap. It will come. Now, he qualifies it in two ways. Number one, he qualifies it according to the time, due season, at the proper time. And he uses the word kairos. It's the same word that Paul uses over in chapter 4 and verse 4. And he describes an opportune moment, just at this opportune moment when it was appointed for Christ to come, for God to send his son into the world. At that moment, it was a Kairos moment. The same way he's saying to us that there is an appointed season to reap, a season of harvest. The frustration is that that harvest does not seem to come as quickly as we desire it to come. And we often measure things by the outcome rather than the way the Bible measures things, and that is on our faithfulness. We must be faithful regardless of when the proper or the appointed time is. We continue to serve because we know we will reap. It's coming. One day it's coming. There will be a multitude of people who love Jesus And there's some temporal fulfillments of that whereby we see people being saved and there are final fulfillments of that when we see all things finished. But a a time is coming. And the other way that we see it qualified is according to our actions. He says if we don't give up. The worst thing that we could do 
when it seems like there's no end, is to give up. Because the final culmination of God's kingdom is coming. And I, I want to just tell you that there, there are some, even, even on this side of heaven, that there are some exciting things that are happening in Walton County for the glory of God. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.